guys. Good morning. It's good to see you. We're going to be in Ruth chapter 4 today, if you would turn with me in your Bible. Ruth chapter 4, if you don't have a Bible, you can grab one out of the pew rack in front of you. You're more than welcome to use that and follow along. Ruth chapter 4. We, uh, we've been in Ruth for quite a while, and uh, we're, we're about to wrap up our series. As Ryan mentioned earlier, uh, we'll actually be wrapping up Ruth next week uh, with kind of what I would call the, uh, the let's tidy up, or the appendices of Ruth. Ruth. You know, typically I, I exegetically study through a, a book of the Bible, and, uh, and this one there were just so, so many different theme, the, uh, themes, I guess you'd say, of the book that I, I took those and, and looked at a little more of a, a broad stroke of those, and, and as looking at God's Hesed love has been the theme, right? The Hesed love of God. And when we looked at the Hesed love of God, we saw that in Psalm 136 and all throughout Scripture that it's a, an enduring love. There's a movement of love. And, and I'm trying to challenge myself, and I've been challenged, and I've challenged you to not just think of God's grace or His provision or His redemption or His love uh, as a once-and-done kind of thing. And if we can look at this as, as an enduring love from God that is from forever and will go long into for forever, right? It's going to go forever. This is the kind of love he has, and I liken that to a parent and their child. And what, what I, I defined, there's a couple of definitions I used. One of the definitions of hesed was this, that hesed, or God's hesed love for us, is his conduct in accordance with his promise. That like, like a parent, right, as a parent, I, I'm going to do whatever I can to get my kids to a certain place. And, and not necessarily a job, right, but I'll help him with that. But as a well-rounded individual human being, right, and certainly as a Christ follower, I want them to know Jesus and wrap their heart and mind around Jesus. So there's more to it than that. But I'll do anything in my power as their parent. My conduct will match uh, in accordance with my promise and my commitment and my covenant to my children. And God is the same. And God's hesed love is the same thing. And we see that all throughout the book of Ruth, and we see it throughout all of Scripture. But what I want us to do is understand that it's a movement of God's love. It's a motion of God's love. It's an enduring of God's love. It wasn't just when Christ died on the cross and he said it's finished. It wasn't just finished because it, and done, right? He, he died and once, once and for all, it was all done enough to cover our sin. But that, the work of the cross is continual. The work of the cross is continually forgiving, continually covering, continually redeeming us. And, and we need to see that continual work of Jesus in our lives and be aware of what's going on. So we've covered different themes throughout the book of Ruth, we, we, uh, themes of God's hesed love. Uh, the first one we covered was God's providing love, like where he provides for us. And we saw that in Naomi, how God provided for her and ultimately, ultimately provided rest for her. The next thing we looked at was um, that he gives grace, that God, uh, part of his hesed love is grace, that he gives grace to us. And, and, we, and we pulled that apart and unpacked that when we looked at the life of Ruth, who was a foreigner, who didn't deserve anything, anything good, but, but God had drawn her into this relationship and given her love and grace, and we saw how he provided that. Last week, we looked at Boaz, and how Boaz, we see God's redemption being, being poured out uh, on his people, and through, and through his people to, to those around. And, and we saw how Boaz was, was a kinsman redeemer, or a family redeemer, who went, went to work hard to try and, and, and buy back, and, and to fix, and to make whole again this family that was broken and shattered into pieces, and he did that by God's Hesed love as well. So today we're going to kind of look at the last character, and there are several different characters in this in this story. But today we're going to look at God's Hesed love as it pertains to the blessing that He's trying to give us, the blessing that He's trying to He's promised us, and His covenant love. He's trying to bless us with that. And what I what I titled the sermon as today is this: uh, This blessing is His happily forever after. Now, I'm a dad, and I I have a girl, a daughter. I read a lot of books that are princess books. I. Uh, I, I can't deny that uh, I've worn pink before, okay? 
um, or been dressed up, but I, I, I can't confirm that either. So, uh, but we read stories together, right? And as we read these stories together, um, they have these hap- happy endings, don't they? We're, we're looking for the princess and the right prince, the princess and the right prince, to come together and live happily ever after. I'm a sucker for happily ever after. I got to tell you that. I, when, when we go to a movie, I check in, in ahead of time. I make sure that it's going to have a happy ever after. If it doesn't, I don't go. I'm not going. I mean, I've been tricked too many times and left just sitting there sad at the edge of my seat. Like, what? That was so sad. I, don't, I want a happy. Right? I want, we want that. We're kind of programmed that way. We want the happily ever after. So today we're going to see God's happily forever after. It's not just, you know, we seek out the happily ever after, and that's kind of a temporary thing or maybe a life thing for this season. But God, God in his hesed love is going after not only just the happy ever after for us now where we have this hope and joy, but it's this, this happily forever after that this enduring love will last well after this body fails and, and, and dies and this soul rises to be with him. That, that there's a forever with God to be had, and that's his blessing for us. And we're going to see how he pours that out. But it's going to take some work on our part. It's going to take some effort for you and I to, to look at a big picture today and, and look at what God's doing in the big picture. So we're going to be looking in Ruth chapter 4. Hopefully you've turned there. And we're going to be in Ruth 4, starting in verse 9. We'll read 9 through 17 together. Um, I'll go ahead and pray, and we'll get started, okay? Father, thank you so much for your great, great love for us, this enduring, faithful, steadfast, loyal, covenantal, compassionate, providing, redemptive, and enduring love. God, and that doesn't even begin to define it. We're thankful that you you continue to, to pour that out on us, and you, you continue to move us, God, towards, towards your blessing that you have for us, this covenant, this promise that we ultimately have found in Jesus Christ. We're, we're grateful for that. God, today as we look to your word, may, may you open up our hearts and our minds to be receptive to it. God, we want your truth to win today. We want you to convict us and challenge us and change us, God, that we might uh, be conformed into the image of your son, Jesus Christ. We want to look more like him to the world so they see Jesus and are drawn to him and, and the redemption that he offers. God, change us today. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so we're going to look today at this, this final person, uh, this final uh, subject of Obed. And it's, it's, that's the final character in our story, Obed. And Obed is a little baby. Aww, right? Don't you love babies? I love babies. I love, and, and you know, my wife and I thinking like, oh, well, yeah, we don't need to have another kid. But when someone else has another kid and there's a baby, it's like, yeah. And I, this morning, well, there was a, a grandfather that came in and just his, his I, there was something different about him. His, his smile, you know, is one of those smiles that went like this. And I'm like, hey, how you doing? What's, how, what's going on? He's like, oh, I had a great grandchild, a great grandson this week. And he just wouldn't stop talking about this great grandson, right? And how much joy there was. And I'm like, yes, that's awesome. Because our church family, also added a baby, right? Alistair and Remy had their, had their little girl this week. And just what a precious little baby and so much joy. I, I'm literally like got some tears in my eyes. You, you walk in and you look at a baby and you look at the love between the parent and that child and you just look, you just want to cry. Those happy, happy tears. There's so much joy to be found in this baby. Now we're going to see that in our story too. As, as Obed is born, we're going to see the joy that he brings to this family. But, but we, that's a small picture. And we gotta, we're going to look at the big picture as we blow that up as well and, and look at it in, for its full effect for us. So today we're going to be talking about God's blessing for us, his happily forever after. And that's, that's kind of going to wrap up the theme of Hesed and Ruth, and then we'll talk about more next week in the appendices version as we clean it up a little bit. But let's look at number one. God's happily forever after, number one, gives hope for redemption to come. 
It gives hope for redemption to come. Now, we talked about redemption last week, and, and this, by the way, was point number six last week. I just kind of said, let's not do that. No, I, I thought about it. I'm like, I really want to share this last week, but, but no, this, this really ties into where we're heading today. And if, and if I'm honest, and if you've kind of paid attention during this, this series, uh, each little thing of God's Hesed love has overlapped and, and integrated itself into all the others. So we can't talk about God's blessing without talking about redemption. And one of the, the beautiful pictures we see is that, that redemption is, is amazing for us now, but when we, are, when we are really looking forward to a happily forever after, we, our hope is in the, the redemption that's still to come, that there's still redemption to be had. And I, I want us to, to re- redefine redemption again from last week, and I'll just give you a couple little definitions, because it really seems like it's, it's for here and now. It's like it's, it's, this applies to me here right now. Um, it says uh, to redeem is to, to win or to, to get back. Like finally I won it and I got it back. Maybe it was a championship title and your team finally won and you got that trophy back, right? Well, what do you do after that? It's done. You go home, you celebrate, and you're done. You wait till the next, next season comes up. You got to fight for it all over again, right? It's to win and buy back and it feels like there's some freedom in that. Uh, other, other ones are this, uh, to help overcome something detrimental. To redeem is to help overcome something detrimental. So there's a circumstance in our life, something that's hurting, some kind of, of, of baggage or scars that are happening. It's just a tough time. And, and there, with some help, maybe a friend or maybe the scriptures or prayer or just the you know, right scenario, God delivers us and we have this deliverance, right? We're, we're able to get out, of, get out of or overcome something detrimental. And we, then we move on, right? We move on. It's also defined as, as releasing us or freeing us, uh, specifically from the consequences of sin. But there's a release and a freedom that we can have from redemption. And that release is nice, and that freedom is nice. Now we can like, oh, we take that breath. But it kind of indicates that we are ready now to move on and move forward. And, and, what we, and that's fine, but what we can't lose sight of is that we can't move away from this redemption. We can't lose a hold on this redemption that's happened. We have to continue to, to focus there. So um, we, we see Boaz. Uh, last week we saw Boaz, and God was using Boaz to redeem and rescue, and essentially he was there to save the day. So that the story could have this happily or happy ever after, right? He saved the day. But there's more to it than just saving the day. And here's, here's what I want to argue for. And I want you to think about this in your own life in redemption. God's redeemed a lot of different things in our lives, right? It could be an, a habit. It could have been a scar. It could have been a relationship. It could have been some kind of uh, addiction we had. There, there are all kinds of scars and all kinds of scenarios that God has, has and is able to redeem. And if you look back in your life, you're like, yeah, oh yeah, he did that right there. And that's amazing. But here's, here's the beauty of this. And here's, here's what I want you to understand about God's hesed love in the form of, of blessing and happily forever after. It should fix our heart and mind on the forever after or forevermore. And, and here's what I would say. Once you have been released, redeemed, right? Once you've, been, once you've tasted redemption in, in any area of your life, obviously we could say from the cross there's redemption over our sin and we are now forgiven. There's an amazing freedom we have from the burden of sin and guilt and fear and we've been released and God's clothed us with forgiveness and righteousness. That's amazing. That's the biggest redemption we could ever have. But there are other redemptions that are there too. But here's the, here's the deal. Once you and I have tasted redemption, we look for it. We look for it more. We, we expect it to happen. We get excited. We get almost, almost giddy and foolish about hope in coming redemption. We should be that way. I, I want us to look in Ruth chapter 2. Um, let's, let's go to Ruth chapter 2. We're going to look at verses 18 through 20. I, I didn't read the opening passage. Sorry, we'll, we'll get to those in a few minutes. Ruth 2, we're going to look through 18 through 20. 
this is, this is Naomi is, is there interacting with Ruth. Ruth has gone to the field. She, she met Boaz. She didn't know who Boaz was. She's gleaned there. She's got a bunch of grain. She's come back home. She had lunch. She brought leftovers home. In verse 18, we pick up the story. It says, she picked up the grain, this is, this is Ruth, and went into town where her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned. Like, wow, that's pretty impressive, right? She brought out what she had left over from her meal and gave it to her. So she gave her mom the leftovers, right? You, you put the food in a box. You're like, oh, let's make extra. I'll take it home. And somebody eats it middle of the night, right? This is what's happening. She, she comes home, and, and I want you to understand the redemption here. It's a very day-oriented redemption. She comes home and gives her the food because Naomi is what? Hungry. And then she eats, and she is not hungry. You see, there's a, there's a minor little redemption, quick redemption. It's like, yes, I'm good. And you're, you're, you're full? Like, okay, I'm good. I'm, I'm good until the next time I'm hungry, right? So there's kind of a day, a temporary redemption happening there. And, and it's okay. It's God's provision. But let's continue on. Let's see how this continues to go forward. Her mother-in-law said to her, because it was impressive what she brought home, where did you gather barley today? And where did you work? May the Lord bless the man who noticed you. Now, here, here's the thought. You've got to think with me, and, you, and you, you've got to go home and study this more broad and, or pick up things from uh, the other sermons we've, we've talked about. Naomi's wheels are turning in her mind. She's, her wheels are turning. See, she is a widow who's come back to her, her, husband's, her late husband's estate, and, and someone's got to take care of this. She knows there are some relatives out there, there and, and in this culture, there are, those relatives are um, a family redeemer, someone who could come and help and buy the land and take charge of it and, and take care of the widow. So, so her mind's already wondering, how is this going to happen? What's going to take place here? So she was provided for in a day. Here's the food. And then she, then she asks, she says, where did you gather barley today? She's like, what, what's happening here? What, is God up to something? That, to me, that's what I'm thinking. Like, is God up to something here? Where did, you, where did you work? And then she says, may the Lord, before she can even answer, may the Lord bless the man who noticed you. And here's what I'm, I see in this. Is Naomi, Naomi's wheels are turning. She's had her fill. She's, she's ate, she's hung, she was hungry. She's good. But she, she knows there's more redemption to be had. She knows there's something more coming. She's like, where, where did you work? Like, may God bless that person. And in my mind, I'm like, God, please bless that person and make him as nice tomorrow and the next day. And all through this harvest season, we want some blessings here. We want, to, we want to see you provide and redeem this, this lousy family situation in this season while we can. There's a season of harvest, right? And the harvest is over, it's done. Hopefully you've stored up enough to, to get you through the winter. But, but this is what she's, her wheels are turning. Maybe, maybe it'll be more than just a lunch. Maybe it's going to be for the season. We're going to be taken care of here. God willing, this is going to happen. So this really bitter woman is starting to trust God and have a little faith in God, isn't she? Pretty interesting. Let's go on. Ruth told her mother-in-law, whom she had worked with, and said, The name of the man that I worked with today is Boaz. Now, we learned previously in this, this passage, and you can read later also, we learned who Boaz was. He was the, or one of the kinsman redeemers, one of the close relatives who could, had the opportunity to make this family whole and take care of this family. Ruth didn't know Boaz, didn't, maybe knew about, you know, in, in, in talk, Naomi might have said, well, yeah, there's a kinsman redeemer out there. There's, there's someone that's a relative. Didn't give names, didn't give addresses of fields, just said there is, right? Maybe even not even that. So Ruth doesn't know who Boaz is, and she's like, yeah, this guy's name, he, he, Boaz, imagine her pronouncing it wrong, right? Boaz, Boaz, I don't know. Oh, Boaz, and Ruth, Ruth is sharing this, and then what happens? Naomi, what happens? She perks up. So, again, this mindset of the, of the happily forever after has to be in our heart in a sense of, like, what, what is coming? 
What redemption is to come? I'm going to hope in redemption to come. Then Naomi said to her, May the Lord bless him because he has not abandoned his kindness to the living or the dead. This is huge. This is, this is no longer, man, I had a meal, I had a lunch, it was really good. And it's, it steps back a little further and then it's like, oh, maybe we'll be taken care of for a season. She steps back, big picture style. And, and she heard Boaz come off of Ruth's lips and she's, she's like, are you kidding me? Maybe this is what God is going to do to redeem me and to redeem you, Ruth. He says he has not abandoned his kindness, not abandoned to this, this poor family. That's not what he, she said, huh? Like this man's being kind to us. How great. He, she says he's not abandoned his kindness to the living or the dead. The living, those two women were living. We, they had needs. They had to be provided for. And she says to the dead. Why? Because Elimelech has died. Right? And Naomi is now a widow because Elimelech is dead. And, and the estate is there. Like, what's going to happen with this property, the land? Who, who's going to give us money for it? Who's going to support us? Right? The living need help. And then to the dead to honor Elimelech and to take on that responsibility as a, as a kinsman, as someone in the family. And even more than that, there's this, this Leverite marriage issue happening where, where she's like, you know, the, the dead also is Malon, who's Ruth's husband who died. How can we honor him? Well, if... Boaz, who she knows is single, you know, the wheels are turning. You see the wheels turning here? If they get married and they have kids, it's going to perpetuate the line. And, and she's stepping back from just this little lunchable she had a minute ago to this bigger thing like, holy cow, look at what God's going to do. Or look at what God could do, right? See, I, I'm just, I'm a, I'm a hopeless romantic in that. I'm a big happy ever ending fan. I, I love that. I love the fact that God could do something. I, we know he is doing things. And, and sometimes he doesn't do the things I'm, I'm thinking he might do, and that's okay, I'm not God. But I tell you what, I've seen his redemption in the lunch, and I've seen his redemption in the season, and I've seen his redemption in the big picture. So when I step back and look at my life or my circumstance, I better be ready to say, God, what are you going to do? What could you do? I'm, and I, in, in the happily ever after, in the happily forever after, I better be ready and expectant for God to redeem something big, to do something big. This is an enduring, big-picture kind of redemption. We're going to see more of that in a minute. I want, to, I want to give you this flow, though, this flow that we see of typical redemption in our lives and how we handle it. And I want to give you a few different illustrations or analogies of how, how this is, has looked, just maybe in your, your life or friends' lives. We've seen God do some redemption in broken marriages, right? We're talk, this is what we're talking about. We're talking about God doing something in your broken marriage. We're talking about God using maybe a failed class. You failed, you failed your class. You have to retake it, or you have to. You, you're, that should be a, the wrong. That's the wrong major for you. Go somewhere else, right? God using that that brokenness. Maybe you lost your job. <clears throat> maybe you have a physical ailment, or or there's some disgrace from abuse, or there's some just some baggage because of loss going on. Now, here's what I want us to understand. We typically in the middle of loss, in the middle of brokenness, in the middle of, of, of hard times, that, that big picture hopefulness, that excitement we have, does this. And it zooms in tunnel vision style. And all we can focus on is hurt. And all we can focus on is, is pain. And all we can focus in on is brokenness and what, what, what needs to be restored and made new. And, and what we forget is this. Here's... 
here's why I'm such a believer in, in hoping for God's redemption to continue to show up. And I know it does. Because I have seen impossible broken marriages be restored by Jesus Christ. I have seen his redemption do that. And I'm excited when he does that. I, I I'm like, wow, he, whoa. Those are whoa moments. But when, when we're in the middle of it, when you're arguing with your wife, and hey, listen, it's Sunday. I know today's the biggest, worst day of your family. I know it was a struggle to get here. I know you're barely holding it together now. But I know that. Satan wants to divide. Satan wants to tear apart. Satan wants us to focus on this brokenness. And God's like, no, 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 step back. I'm the redeemer. I can, I can do something big here. I've seen people who have failed classes or failed in majors and said, I, need, I just need to abandon school and stop going to school altogether and go pursue my other passions. Go. Maybe that's what God wants for you to do. And see, if they just focused on failing, then they retook the class and they studied harder and they still failed or whatever it was. Like, just go, go do something else maybe. Big picture. Let's get the big picture here. You lost your job. To me, there's hope for a new career. Right? You, you have a physical ailment or something's wrong or you're, you have a lot of loss happening right now, a lot of grief, or, or you're carrying around the shame and, and disgrace of, of maybe emotional or sexual or physical abuse in your life. Like, I'm so dirty. I'm, I just, I'm disgraced. I don't want to be seen. I'm, and all you're focusing in on is this hurt. God, is, the Father's opening his arms out saying, I, I want to love you. I want to hug you. I want to, I want to make you whole. I want to help fix this. And God can fix those things. He can't change maybe what's happened, but he can change our heart and hold our heart and care for us in that. So I've seen broken marriages, but I've seen restored marriages. I've seen failed jobs, but I've seen revived futures. I've seen failed classes, and I've, but I've, and I've seen growth, right, from lessons learned, hard knocks, the school hard knocks. We see growth there, personal growth. I've seen people who have, who have been raped or sexually assaulted. I've seen them that have been abused. I've seen people who are just down and out because they're of poverty or whatever it is. I've seen these scenarios of, of, of hurt and despair or, or physical, physical ailment, and I've seen God have the victory over that, and I've seen ministries be developed because of those, those scars and because of God's redemption. A ministry has been developed to people who are living in despair. You think about your own despair. You think about your own brokenness. You think about the times in your life where it hurts the worst. Many of us could say, thank you, God, for sending someone that's been through this before and has been redeemed. Thank you for helping them speak up instead of be silent. We thank God for that. But here's, here's the flow. Here's what we do. Something's broken. That's the first thing. Something breaks. Something's off. Something's out of whack. And what, what's next? Number two is we fix it or Right, restore it. We try to try to make it help, get help. So something's broken, we fix it. Guys, you with me with that? Right. We try to fix a lot of things. And 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 here, as human beings, we like to stop once it's fixed. You know why? Because the hurt is so great. Sometimes we want to what? Move on. We want to move on. But that's not what redemption does. Redemption is there to fix and to resolve. But it goes further than that. There's a brokenness, and then it gets fixed, and then from there. God wants to restore, and he wants to revive. Not just fix and be done and move on. He wants to restore and revive. He wants to make whole again. He wants to be, bring beauty from ashes. That's what God is doing. And from there, there's even further we go. The next thing is, is God wants us to have a changed heart. He wants to change our heart. He wants to give us a different perspective. See, we, we get so narrow-minded and think that this little thing, this little hurt is just ours, no one else can see it, and once it's fixed, I'm going to bury it as far as I can so I never have to go back there again. But God says, you know what? You need to get a perspective. You need to step back. 
and look at the big picture here. Look at what I might be doing in your life. And he's going to say, listen, I, I didn't cause that. I, I didn't want that to happen to you. But I'm, I'm going to take what was broken and torn down and worn out, and, and I want to make it whole again and make it something beautiful. So, so let's step back and look at the bigger picture. I use this illustration in my own life and off and on with people and maybe in, even in church on a Sunday morning. I, I, love, I, I love more now mosaic art. I never used to. I like, never got it. Like, I took a bunch of broken tiles and put it together. Okay, yeah, it's like a little kid project. But, and because and why do I see that? Because I'm, I'm ne- sitting next to it. I'm like, oh, that's kind of interesting. And you're looking at this picture, like, there's a bunch of broken tiles. You see the imperfections in it, right? That's not good carpentry. So, so you, but, but the more you step back, the more things kind of start to make that picture. You start to see the beauty that came from broken pieces. And I, and I love that. You know, you and I are all broken pieces. And we're all broken pieces and broken people and broken tiles in the, in the beautiful mosaic that God is creating in his, in his redemption. And if we can step back and see that we're a piece of that and that God's redemption and God's beauty is going to be brought out of that, that's getting a change of heart. That's getting perspective. That's letting redemption have its full effect to take what's broken, to fix it, and to make it, make it into something whole or beautiful again. I love mosaic art for that because we're all a bunch of broken pieces, aren't we? We're all broken in different ways. But it takes us going beyond just, okay, I'm fixed. I'm, it's, let's push it aside. Let's move on. No, God wants to put that. God wants to put his redemption in your lives. God wants to put his redemption over your circumstances on display as his majestic art so that the world would see what he can do with broken pieces. We like to hide it, don't we? Oh, no, God, don't use me. I'm not the right broken piece. I'm the different shade of that color. Well, we need all, right? So we, we look, we, we change a heart, we get our heart perspective changed. And then when, once our perspective changes, that means we can step back and we can look for, and I would tell you, we, we should long for more redemption to come. I love how Naomi's wheels are turning. I love how her mind's working. She got lunch from, from uh, Ruth and she had this big, big, you know, 50-pound bag of barley or, or that would come, come home with her. She's like, oh, man. Then she said Boaz, and it's the light. It's like light bulb. I get it now. I'm seeing something happen here. And it may not happen. So listen, I, I, have, I have people come to my office for marriage counseling, and, and, and they come in, and we talk, and we share, and we start this process of, because it's hard. And I know you, maybe you're here. You're like, your spouse is like, listen to Brandon right now, right? And don't do that. That's, that's hard, right? I know it's tough. I know it's tough. But there hasn't been one couple that has come in for counseling or I've met with and talked with that I've not shared this. There is hope for every marriage. His name is Jesus Christ. There's hope for every marriage. Every, every bro- piece of brokenness can be redeemed. Everything. There's hope for every marriage. And that's where I'm a hopeless romantic. But that's the big picture redemption stuff, isn't it? That God can do that. that there is actually legitimate hope for every marriage. There's no hopeless marriage. Only hopeless people. And we need to hope in a big God who's ready to redeem, who's ready to do big things. And that's, that's what Naomi's doing. She's like, you know what? Th- this blessing that's going to happen, this happily forever after, I'm excited about it. I can't wait for what God is going to do because I've seen what God can do. Psalm chapter 30, verse 11 and 12 says this. You turned my lament, right? My mourning, my sorrow, my grief. You turned it into dancing. You removed my sackcloth and you clothed me with gladness. 
so that I can sing to you and not be silent. Lord my God, I will praise you forever. This is a happily forever after story. So for you and I, if, if we have to get, that, to get that perspective, we have to see our life in the big picture, first of all, saying God has redeemed so many things and he can do it again. And then we have to be hopeful, hopeful that more redemption is to come. We don't know what God's going to do. We don't know how people are going to respond, but we are going to hope in more and more and more redemption. We're going to long for more redemption because that's a part of God's happily forever after. Number two. The happily forever after fills what was empty. God's happily forever after fills what was empty. This is a, a beautiful thing. If you look back to Ruth chapter 4. As you turn there, Ruth 4, we're going to start in verse 14. I, I want you to ask two questions yourself. Maybe write this down in your notes. I think there's two questions we should ask ourselves. We talk about our, our, our own brokenness being redeemed and using that for other people's lives and for God's glory. There's two things. I think one is this. What does God want to do with my hurt? What does God want to do with my hurt? Sometimes I think we're, it's just hurt and we're hurt and we don't want to talk about it. We're just hurt. But what does God want to do with my hurt? What can God do with that? And the next question is this. In what other ways can I trust him to redeem my hurt? You know, we, we've seen him redeem in some ways. What other ways can we see him redeem or trust him to redeem our hurt? I think those are important questions to ask. Certainly we're talking about, and we'll see in a minute, this, this great salvation that God has offered through his son, Jesus Christ. That there is this burden, this guilt, this shame that's on us because of our own sin and that has separated us so far from God. And God says, first off, I want to redeem your soul. I want to, I want to make you new again. I want to take your sin and that burden off your shoulders. I want, to, I want to separate it from as far as the east is from the west. I want to bury it to the bottom of the ocean floor. That's what he wants to do. That's the first redemption that we should have and respond to in God. But God is going to continue to redeem. And his, his love and his grace and the continual enduring work of God and the cross will redeem in all kinds of ways in our life. So this next one is God fills up what was empty. Starting in verse 14 of Ruth chapter 4. The women said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord who has not left you without a family redeemer. That word without, the God hasn't left you without. May his name be well known in Israel. He will renew your life and sustain you in your old age. Indeed, your daughter-in-law who loves you and is better to you than seven sons has given birth to him. Aren't babies great? This is an amazing blessing that, that, that Naomi we know was empty. She was bitter. She was angry. She was, she was just at the bottom of the barrel. And God has, has brought her out and filled her up. Why? Because a son has been born to Naomi. It's not Naomi's son, right? But that's how it feels. That's how that redemption feels. That you get filled up again. The son has been born. And I want you to remember, she, she's being filled up. She left Bethlehem full. She said in, in chapter 121, I went away full but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why do you call me Naomi? Since the Lord has opposed me and the Almighty has afflicted me. She had this beef with God, right? She left full. She should have stayed because she was full. She left full. And when she returned, she was empty. And what is God's redemption? And what is God's blessing? And what is the happily forever after about? Taking what was empty and filling it up. Naomi was bitter. 
And, and one of the things that we can do when we're bitter, and we talked about this a few weeks ago, we can sit back and do nothing and just be bitter and hide it and not talk about it. But the commendable thing about each one of these characters I'm going to talk about here coming up about being filled is they went for it. You have to want it. You have to want God to fill you up. You've got to want God to come through. You've got to want to see God's redemption in some way. You've got to want it. And when Naomi came back, she, she, the commendable thing she did, remember, she was honest. They said, hey, Naomi, pleasant, sweet, how are you? I'm bitter. That's what she said. I'm bitter. And she was honest. And these, these women, through this whole story, these women are all around her, helping and guiding and talking and visiting and encouraging and checking on. But she's honest. She's ready. She's watching. God, are you going to do something? Because that's all I can see as a potential. You have to do something. You have to show up here because my life is not fun right now. But she did it. She wanted it. And God filled her up. Then you see Boaz. We're going to jump down to, uh, back to 4, uh, 9 through 12. I want to look at Boaz here. Remember Boaz? I talked about Boaz. He's an, kind of an I'd say older guy, older than Ruth guy. He's older than Ruth. And when, when they met, you know, I think Boaz was this kind, awesome, noble guy who didn't want to didn't presume like he could go out with Ruth, right? Unless I could take her for a date. He's like, you know what? I, I feel more like a father figure. He even says my daughter to her, right? And he says, you know, I, he gets that father figure mode going, I, I want to provide. I want to make sure she's protected and cared for. I, I can do that. My age, my, my uh, status with others, I can help in those ways. That's what Boaz is thinking of. And, and he's probably thinking, man, this gal is amazing. She's, she's a noble woman, much like the Proverbs 31 woman he calls her. Right? And, and he says, some guy in his mind, some guy is going to be lucky to get her. I'm going to keep providing until that guy shows up. He even prays that. God's going to provide for you. He prays that, that someone would come. He becomes the answer to his own prayer. But he's, he's kind of passive, isn't he? He's this passive bachelor. And I wouldn't say passive in a bad way. He's just not like going to get it and like make this happen. You, you know, you're going to be my wife. This is just makes, this makes sense right here. He's like, you know what? It doesn't make sense. I'm older. She's younger. There's lots of other men she can have here. Let, let her do that. But I'm going to take care of her kind of as a dad, step in where, where she has a need there. That's how he was. Well, Naomi sees that, they're, that, hey, he needs to be with Ruth. And Ruth kind of is, I'm open to that idea. And, and we saw in chapter 3 and a few weeks ago, Naomi gave her instructions to go to the threshing floor. Gussy up, right? Dress up. May, look your best. Go to the threshing floor. Lay down next to him by his feet. And when he wakes up, say, would you, you know, cover me with your wing? Like, basically go there and propose marriage to him. Say, uh, hey, Boaz, I know you're not thinking this way, but I am and I'd like to. Would you? And, and what does he do? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I can't believe you, you think of me like that. I can't believe you. Yeah, I'm, I'm in. I'm in. Just stay here. I'll take care of it. Like, he, now he knows. Now he's on a mission. So he's not passive, right? But, he, but he's, he's very, he's courteous. He's respectful. He's gracious. But when he finds out that, that that's a possibility, that that's what she wants, he's not going to make this happen, but when that's what she wants, you see this kind of maybe oblivious, faithful guy get some purpose, get some, some giddy up in him, doesn't he? That's where, we, well, that's where we're at in, in verse 9 of chapter 4. You like that, some giddy up? It's a cowboy turn. It's on the ranch. My wife knows. My kids do that too. They jump on my back and they say, giddy up. I don't know. <laughs> so Boaz, he, he, he says, stay here. He, you know, I'm going to take care of this matter. He knows that there's a kinsman redeemer that's one step closer. Like the, he gets the, the first rite of passage. So he's like, oh, i got to figure this out. And, and it's amazing. And we'll talk about this more next week because it's one of the appendices. But he, he deals real shrewdly at the city gate. He knows. He brings his, his little proposal and he puts the fine print in there too just to make sure that, that we get all the bases covered and that he gets what he wants. 
So he goes there and he, he does this exchange. He says, listen, uh, here's the property. It's Elimelech's widow. You, gotta, you can have it. Everything that belongs to him is yours. And, oh, yeah, yeah, I want that. I want that. I'll take care of that. Oh, by the way, because now he wants something. He's not passive. He's not oblivious. Oh, by the way, you also have a Moabite woman. He didn't say this, Proverbs 31, woman of noble character. He says, hey, you have the Moabite woman also, and she has a dead husband, and you're obligated then to perpetuate the man's line and give her a baby. Oh, wait a minute. Time out. Whoa, whoa, I can't do that. I, I've got my own thing going on. You redeem. You go ahead. You go for it. And he takes off his sandal, and they make a little deal, and it's done. And here's what happens in verse 9. Boaz said to the elders and the people, You are my witnesses today that I am buying from Naomi everything that belonged to Elimelech, to Kilion, and Malon. I have also acquired Ruth the Moabitess, Malon's widow, as my wife, to perpetuate the deceased man's name on his property, so that his name will not disappear among his relatives or from the gate of his hometown. You are witnesses today. And all the people who were at the city gate, including the elders, said, We are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is entering your house like Rachel and Leah, who together built the house of Israel. May, your, may you be powerful in Ephratah and your name well known in Bethlehem. May your house become like that of Perez, the son Tamar bore to Judah, because of the Lord of the offspring the Lord will give you by this woman. I mean, you're talking, you're talking about empty, and, and Boaz wasn't empty by any means, was he? He was a very prominent businessman. He was very successful. He had workers underneath him. He was very well respected. But he didn't have what? A family. He didn't have a wife and family. And, and what happened here? He decided to say, I, I want it. I, let's look for it. God, how are you going to fill me up? How are you going to redeem? What's the happily forever after going to be? And he got his giddy up on. And, he get, and God provided. And this, his bachelor became this, this husband and father. And God filled him up in that. Then we see Ruth in verse 17 or 13, sorry. Ruth was this widowed foreigner who really didn't have a chance, no odds at all, like really against the odds here. A widowed foreigner. And after all this took place, Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife. He slept with her and the, and the Lord granted her conception uh, to her and she gave birth to a son and they named him Obed. That's in verse 17. And he was the father of Jesse, the father of David. You know, Ruth came, came to Bethlehem. She was, she was empty. She lost her husband. She, she left her family and her gods and her culture. She was just as empty as Naomi. But, but she wanted to see how Yahweh could provide for her. She wanted to have faith in, faith in him and trust in him. She wanted it. And Ruth was courageous and worked hard in trusting God. And God provided. So in the end, God's hesed love Right, his, his overwhelming hesed love for his, for his happily forever after for us overcomes all kinds of obstacles. It br brought Naomi from an emptiness to a fullness. It brought Boaz from being a, a bachelor to be a happily married man with a family. And it brought Ruth from being a foreign widow to being a mom. And for us, we know that, as the narrator said, a mom and a great-grandmother to, one of, to Israel's greatest king, King David. So what does this happily forever after do? It fills us up. Number three, the happily forever after, it meets our deepest need. It meets our deepest need. And that's, this is so important. This is why it's so important for us to stop focusing in on this tunnel vision and step back for the big picture. It's, it's amazing how God, when God redeems step by step, isn't it? 
When God redeems a little thing, it's like, oh, thank you, God. And he does, oh, thank you, God. And we're able to look at it and see it. Maybe it's a day, maybe it's a season, and we're excited about that. But it's really important for us to step back and see the big picture because God in his happily forever after for us meets our deepest need. Let's look at verse 17 together. The neighbor women said, a son has been born to Naomi, and they named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. Now these are the family records of Perez. Perez fathered Hezron. Hezron fathered Ram. Ram fathered Aminadad. Aminadad fathered Nashon. Nashon fathered Salmon. Salmon fathered Boaz. Boaz fathered Obed. Obed fathered Jesse. And Jesse fathered David. This is an amazing, amazing thing. You know, when you, when you look at the story, and, and oftentimes we put ourselves in the first person in a story, right? We want to pretend like we're there. We want to we paint our own picture of what's going on. If you look at Ruth... And you look at Boaz, you look at Naomi in this story, how excited are they that, that, that the marriage happened, that the redemption was able to take place, this other guy got out of the way, and that, and that they had a baby. Because honestly, that is the end of the story, isn't it, for them? They had a baby, and Naomi was full, and there was joy, and it was exciting. That's the end of their story. But the narrator, the narrator knew something that they didn't, didn't, didn't he? As the narrator wrote this, as the person who wrote this, this testimony says, he says, there was a, a baby born, and, and you, know what, you know what I know? He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. See, there was this promise made in the Davidic covenant saying that there would be a Messiah through the line of David, that God would provide ultimate redemption through Jesus Christ. And what's interesting is that although the narrator, the writer of this knows that, guess what you and I know? See, here's, here's Naomi and Ruth and Boaz, and here's the person who wrote this. And here we are, thousands of years removed, knowing where King David's line ended. And you see Matthew chapter 1, you can look there later on, you see this lineage of Jesus. It mentions Ruth, it mentions Obed, it mentions Boaz, and ultimately it goes down the line and it mentions Jesus Christ. Why? Because in God's happily forever after, God meets our deepest and greatest need. See, this is big picture, far-seeing, eternal hope kind of stuff, isn't it? That's what we're talking about. And, and, and as, we, as we see Jesus come up, he's the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And, and what God is doing is providing a way for you and I to be redeemed and reconciled back to God through Jesus. What that means is this, that we were broken, that we were separate, that we were unfixable without him. And he promised to provide himself as a perfect sacrifice, as a perfect atonement for our sin, that you and I could be made whole. Here's the truth. It really doesn't matter if your marriage succeeds or not, if, you ha if your soul hasn't been redeemed by Jesus. I, I hope your marriage succeeds. I hope that you live happily ever after. But you know what my hope is in? My hope is in your happily forever after. And that's what God is providing through his son, Jesus Christ, that you and I could have wholeness right here, that we could be forgiven and made new, that we could be made whole again. And here's what he's trying to do. As God provides Jesus, he's given us this atonement, this forgiveness, this righteousness that we could never earn on our own. And what he wants to do through that is, is say, I can do all the work. Jesus did all the work. He did finish everything. And that should alleviate all the insecurities and all the fears and all the guilt in our lives so that we can live in a happily forever after with peace 
and contentment in the Son, Jesus Christ. And here, here's the greatest truth. Even though Christ died 2,000 years ago and this story was thousands of years ago, we know that even today, God is still working through the darkest days with his hesed love, his enduring, faithful, covenantial love, bringing his blessing and the blessing of his happily forever after to light for you and I. That you and I can be drawn out of darkness and into light, into his marvelous light, and of the peace and hope that only comes from Jesus Christ. See, that is the greatest need that we all have. And God's hesed love in his happily forever after is ready to meet that need. But for, it takes for you and I belief that we would trust the Son of God. We trust that he provided everything we needed, that we would have faith in him to forgive us. That when we stand before God, it's not because we're pure, it's because Jesus was pure and we put on his clothing. We're wrapped in his righteousness. Believe today. Finally, God's happily forever after. Number four, isn't hidden in the redeemed. It isn't hidden in the redeemed. And I, I started talking about this earlier. It's very, very difficult, I'm sure, for God when, when you, you, you're broken and you get fixed and then you bury who fixed it and how it was fixed. And I don't want to show anyone the instructions. I don't want to show anyone the answer because I'm going to have to dig up the dirt. They're going to see the dirt. Big deal. We all have dirt. We don't all have the fix. We don't all have the solution. We don't all have the light. We don't all have redemption in those areas. God wants us in his happily forever after to not hide his redemption. It shouldn't be hidden in us. And we see this in Ruth chapter 4. Look at verse 14 again. Uh, the women said to Naomi, the women who have walked through this life with Naomi, walked through this season with Naomi, this bitterness to, to fullness again. What they say? Blessed be the Lord. They're saying praise God. They're not saying, man, I'm so glad you figured this out. It's really, it was really bad for you. And No, the praise God that God showed up who has not left you without a family redeemer. They're offering all their praise to God. They're saying, we're not going to hide this. That God, There was something that was broken, and now it's been made whole again. There was something that was ashes, and now it's beautiful because God is in that business. The truth is we, you and I, should make redemption a holiday. Redemption should be a holiday that we remember. I want, I want to, I'm going to bring your attention to the book of Esther. You don't have to turn there, but the book of Esther shows this amazing story of God's people and, and this redemption and this provision and protection that God is placing around them. And I, I want to just read you the end, kind of the end of the book. It's spoiler alert, okay, if you want to read this later, it's a spoiler. Uh, Mordecai had become uh, and was appointed an official in the land at the very end of the book. He, he was like, you're a high-ranking official now, come on, you, you know, this other guy, he's out. And Mordecai comes, and, and because God had provided, and the, the, the Jewish people were facing annihilation, genocide. That was the law that was written. They're like, we're going to wipe the Jews out. We're done. You didn't just start in the, in the 40s or earlier than that. It started earlier than that, okay? And, and so there's this, this thing happens. God provides and delivers them. And here's what Mordecai says. Mordecai ordered them all, the, the, God's people, to celebrate the 14th and 15th days of the month of Edar every year. Because during those days, the Jews gained relief from their enemies. There was redemption, right? That was the month when their sorrow was turned into rejoicing. And when their mourning was turned into a holiday. They were, they were to be days of feasting, of rejoicing, of sending gifts to one another and to the poor. You see... God's ultimate redemption for us in Jesus Christ, we celebrate that, right? It's called Christmas. It's called Easter. We have big holidays for that. 
But those other little ones, I love it when a, when a couple gets back together and they come and say, hey, Brandon, it's our one-year renewal anniversary. Our marriage was a mess. We were married 15 years, but after that, now it's one-year renewal anniversary. And what they do, they go out and celebrate. They don't hide it. They celebrate. It's a holiday now. It's a renewal. And we ought to be celebrating those holidays in our life when God redeemed us. God did something amazing in us. And we've got to say, God did it. And maybe, it's, maybe you're not giving gifts and exchanging things, but, but we've got to remember. We don't hide that. We shout it, shout it to, at the top of our lungs. God's the Redeemer. God can do it. And we get over our shame and our guilt because he paid for that. And we don't have to bring that up anymore. We just show, show him off. And see, what, what happens is this. We as Christians think, oh, we, well, I'm redeemed and it's done, but I, I'm, I'm, I'm bad if I've done that, so I want to sweep it under the rug, get rid of it, I want to move on. And God's saying, what you're doing is just being ashamed of my redemption. You're being ashamed of how I bless and how I've provided for you. I've given you your happily forever after, and you're hiding it under a rug. We shouldn't hide it. Last passage today is Psalm 40, chapter, or chapter 40, verse 10. I did not hide your righteousness in my heart. It sounds like a good thing to do, right? I've, I've hidden your righteousness in my heart. The psalmist says, I did not hide your righteousness in my heart. I spoke about your faithfulness and salvation. I spoke it up, right? I'm going to make sure you know I'm speaking about your hesed love, your, your grace, your enduring, faithful, covenantal love. He says, he goes on, I did not conceal your constant love and truth from the great assembly. Shouldn't we have God's constant love and truth on our hearts and lips all the time? No matter how shameful it might have been for us to, to feel that constant love and truth, we ought to put that on display everywhere. And that, this is the great thing about this hesed love. God is providing this happily forever after for us. And you and I should say, woohoo! How great is our God? doesn't matter if you're, you're okay or you're bad. None of us are as great as he is. And we could say, you know what? He's, he's amazing. His love is amazing. And his steadfast love endures what? Happily forever after. Happily forever after. Let's stand and pray together. Lord, you are a, a great, great God, and we thank you so much for your grace. We thank you for your enduring, faithful, steadfast, covenantal love that you've lavished on us, and you're continuing to lavish on us. God, may you help us understand the movement of that love in our lives. And God, for some of us, it, it might be a time where we are so focused right now on the hurt and the brokenness that we've zoomed into this tunnel vision, God, and we, and we forgot about the redemption you've offered and the redemption you've shown in, in so many other ways in our lives. Help us step back. Help us get perspective. Help change our hearts so we, we are hopeful about your coming redemption. And God, you, you have to change our heart. It's not just, we're not looking for a fix. We're looking for a change. We want you to change everything. If you have to wreck us to do it, wreck us. Maybe be humbled and, and even humiliated before you that, God, we could rise again from ashes into beauty. That you take the broken pieces of our heart and our lives and you would put them together in the masterpiece of your mosaic. And Father, we want people to know that you are the Redeemer. We want people to know that your steadfast, enduring, faithful love is there for them as well. And that, God, although we may not always get a happy ever after, in Christ we have a happily forever after. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as we